So, so far we've learned that the church will not undergo the tribulation. It will be raptured before the signing of the covenant between the Antichrist and Israel. There are, however, prophecies concerning the church in the end times. And when we approach these prophecies, we need to make a distinction between the true church, church of God, that is the wheat, that is to be raptured, and the apostate and believing church that will enter, I believe, the tribulation. Jesus told us in the parable of the wheat and the tear that the church will be composed of both believers and unbelievers. Often very difficult to distinguish, for a wheat and a tear look very much the same until it comes to give fruits. The tear has no fruits. This state of matter will last until the true church is raptured and the tear is left by itself. There are some specific prophecies which describe the state of the church in the very end times as the intensity of this prediction will increase the more we move toward the end. And these are the things we see happening around us. So what are these predictions about the church in the last days that we can today see growing more and more around us? Let me begin with a word from our Savior. When Yeshua gave the prophecies of the end time in Matthew 24, from verses 4 to 8, Yeshua gives a general condition of our present world before the last words of the, of the tribulation. He concluded this part in verse 8 in saying, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Not the sorrows themselves, but the beginning of the sorrows. What, what precedes verse 8 are not signs of the very end times. They are the regular condition of the world since 2,000 years. But see what he says. The first thing he tells us about these signs. He says, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Now notice how twice Jesus mentions the word deceive. While this will be a characteristic found in the church throughout the last 2,000 years, gathering all the information of the New Testament, it will reach a high level before the tribulation. While there will be wars and rumors of wars, and increasingly so, and at the same time there will be famines, diseases, and earthquakes, Yeshua puts first place our spiritual health, our sanctification. He does not want us to, 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 to fall into the hands of these deceivers, for he says there will be many of them, and they are increasing around us, and I believe that the believer should work even harder on his sanctification, on his doctrines of the scriptures, and so not to fall into the hands of these people. And this warning, I want to tell you, flows through almost every one of the letters of the body of the Messiah which are written for us, the epistles. And these admonitions concerning doct doctrines, holy living, all that pertains to our sanctification, occupy a very fast place in the New Testament. We do not have time to go over all the, th the warnings that you have in almost every one of them, but... Let's actually, we're going to do a, a, a uh, what you might call it, we, we're going to go through the first five ones, okay, in order for you to get an idea of the warnings that we have in the epistle. By the way, all that we have in the epistles from Romans to Jude, this is what we call the law of Christ. It's all there. People say, where is the law of Christ? It's there. The law is given in case laws, just like most of the Mosaic law, right? And every one of them has a warning about 
these deceivers. Let's turn to the first one, Romans 16, 17 and 18. And we'll go for the first five books and you're going to see the intensity of the warnings. Romans 16, 17, 18. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. By the way, this is the beginning of the church here. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, 12. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunker or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? Go to the next book, Second Corinthians. 11.13 But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves in apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transformed himself into an angel of light. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Let's go to the last one for today. Ephesians 4.14 That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrines by the trickery of man, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, and so on and on. For a full list, actually, it's going to be in the, I believe, in, in the website, right? What then are we to expect to see, and increasingly so, as we're heading towards the end? Back in the late 1950s, Dwight Pentecost, in his book, Things to Come, gathered all these signs into what he called a system of denial. A system of denial. It is a system which focuses on confounding and confusing believers with the final aim of diminishing God and his words and to separate the believer from his creator. We should not underestimate the power of denial. It is easier than to argue, is to deny, to belittle, like this one shifts the burden of the proof to the other. Like those who deny the Holocaust. It matters not that, they are, that there's a multitude of historical facts, films, and even living witnesses, they just disclaimed all these facts. In therapy, they speak of obstructive powers of denial. For the first step to recovery is to recognize we have a problem something which is at times so difficult to admit. 
But this strategy of denial and minifying what is godly, what is scriptures, is nothing new. The serpent's first words in the Garden of Eden were what? Has God indeed said? Putting a doubt. There he began to instill a doubt in Eve's mind. Then, and, and right away, these words were followed by a subtle lie. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Today we may call this scheme the Jezebel system, where, where foreign and strange beliefs are introduced and mingled with the scriptures to the point where the truth is fogged out, right? It, it, is, it slowly disappears. Today we may call these schemes the Balaam system, where worldly and immoral elements are introduced to the body of the Messiah also to the point where the word just fades away. Jesus warned the, the churches of the end times in Revelation 2 by mentioning both the dangers of Jezebel and that of Balaam. And what are today these things that are now being denied? God, his son, his word, and a special focus on denying those prophecies, especially in the end times, so that the individual becomes confused, disoriented, and does not, doesn't understand anymore the movement of this world. The Bible says that the very church which is supposed to bring light to this world will deny the very light uh, with time, and even ask Jesus out of their church. This is precisely the, the case of the church of Laodicea. Did you know that Jesus was outside knocking at the church? He wasn't in. Now let us now look at the first and most prominent rejection of this system of denial. The first is most widespread denial, which comes in so many different forms, is the denial of the Messiah, the denial of Jesus Christ, of his exclusive divine nature and of his mission. Remove Jesus from the scriptures and one's faith in God of the Bible will simply fall apart. John the Apostle has so much to tell us about all of this subject in his letters. He sums up for us all that he has learned at the feet of Jesus and also through all that he experienced as a pastor, teacher, and evangelist. These three letters that he wrote are very important documents since they were written some 60 years after the resurrection of the Messiah by the last remaining that is, eyewitness of Jesus, John himself. He's the one who outlived all the 12 apostles. And these letters must have been written some 20 years after that Paul had finished writing, writing that is, his own epistles and departed to be with the Lord. By this time, the church began to look like it is today. And it is then that Jesus was being redefined, reinvented, and they began to preach another Jesus. And here John so strongly warns the believer in 1 John 4, 3. And every spirit, he says, that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And we can add to this that it is even more so today. That Jesus has come in the flesh means that he's not a man like we are. It means that he is from above like the prophecy of Micah in the Old Testament, who tells us that he will be born in Bethlehem, whose origins are from eternity, from everlasting. And we know that God is the only one who is from eternity and who is from everlasting. 
Rabbinical commentators, especially the medieval ones, understood the exclusive, the exclusivity divinity of the Messiah. Whoever denies this, the Spirit of God says, is an antichrist. Anti usually means instead of, for they want to replace Jesus. Anti also means against, for they also want to have him gone. This is what these have in common. They are against the Messiah. They will invent all kinds of theories to diminish him. Some say that he's an angel. Some say that he's a man who became God, or that he's a great teacher. Others try to belittle him to, by putting others on the same level as he is. Others do not want to offend, right? And so they speak of him as a good man. And have you noticed that a common denominator of all the Christian sects is to destroy the exclusive divinity of the person of Jesus? All of them. Peter as well, in his second letter, in his second chapter, he speaks of the false teachers and also pinpoints what, what they say. Second Peter 2.1 For false prophets also arose from the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresy, even what? Denying the master who brought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. These were denying both the person and the work of Jesus the Messiah. While they may say nice things about Jesus, they failed to confess him as the exclusive person, right? As, as God himself. This is at the end of the denial, and today they have become so clever in doing this, but denying his divinity himself, right? They, 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 they're trying to redefine completely the divinity. Once they touch this, it's a very dangerous thing, right? We've had our share in our church in Montreal of those who deny the Messiah, perhaps through the constant persecution of anti-missionaries and the pressure of the religious leaders around. And the last one who actually preached from the pulpit. Suddenly, you know that one day, I got a letter from him, okay, and he, in the letter he calls Jesus a liar. I want to quote what he said. He says, I believe Jesus is a great deception. The same one that was perpetuated by many Egyptian pharaohs, Nebuchadnezzar, and of course the abomination of desolation, a man who believes himself to be God. I want to tell you that I took this letter as a compliment for our congregation. It means that we are really preaching the word of God. And when you do that, they cannot stand it. They have to leave. This is what John teaches in his letter. If you clean the table very well, flies will not come. <laughs> when I look back, this did not cause any harm to our congregation. As the word says, they were uncovered before they did. For the Spirit says in 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if we had been of us, they would have continued with us. And they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. While we need to always be on the lookout, we should not worry or be anxious about these things. For Yeshua says, I build my church. I trust them to take care of my congregation, or our congregation, right? So this type of denial fits the description of the last of the seven churches. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, Jesus addresses seven churches. Each represents a sample of the churches throughout history and the very last church, as we said before. 
The one preceding his second coming would actually made, made of people who would not believe in him. In fact, Jesus, again, like I said before, is outside the church. This is the church of Laodicea, which I believe to be the one in the tribulation time. And Yeshua addresses the church as the Amen, as the faithful and true witness, all that this church is not. And see what he tells each, this church in verse 15, 16, where we find some of the strongest words that Jesus uttered against a congregation. Because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Jesus will never say this of a believer. I will vomit you out of my mouth. However, I never thought, by the way, I want to tell you that in my lifetime, I would encounter such a church. But we are... They are individual church like this. I want to give you an example. You know, last year, in November 2018, the Toronto Star reported about a pastor of an evangelical church who became an atheist. This itself is not so surprising news. We're kind of used to it somehow. Because we have heard so many pastors who left the faith. But this one is special for this pastor is still holding her position as pastor of the church belonging to a prominent Protestant denomination. The article explains that four years into her pastoral, the pastor changed her mind about God. She had, what she says, a crisis of conscience. She explained that it all began when doubt about the authority of the word of God. I want to tell you, it usually begins with this, right? Maybe there's a mistake here, maybe there's a mistake there. And within a short time, she just denied the existence of God and said, I do not believe, and I quote, I do not believe in a theistic supernatural being called God. And so she took the liberty of deleting all reference of God to a supernatural being in her sermons and rewrote even the hymns. According to another newspaper, The Guardian, there is not one mention of God during the 70-minute service in her Toronto service, and Bibles are nowhere to be found. That, to me, looks like the Laodicean church. It had, I believe, landed already somehow in this earth. Furthermore, the author of the article noticed that the large steel cross, one of a few remaining religious symbols of the church, is hidden behind a cascade of rainbow streamers. And listen to this. I want you to listen to this. After three and a half years of deliberation, the responsible of this denomination, the largest Protestant Christian denomination in Canada with 2,711 congregation, decided to keep this pastor in place. They did not see any contradiction in keeping her as a pastor. This is where we are today. This doesn't mean that the whole church is made of tears. This doesn't mean that, right? See the graceful address to, of our Lord to the Laodicean church in Revelation 3.20. See how graceful he is. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. As Jesus put out, he's put out of the church, you know what, he still knocks. Maybe there's somebody there who can listen, who would listen. And in this fallout, we recognize the devil's strategy. He's not fighting against the churches. He's joining them right now. He is not persecuting Christianity as much as he did in the past. He's professing it. This is why we ought to know our doctrines so well. Today, many hope and think that the world is becoming more and more Christian. But the fact is that Christians are becoming more and more worldlier. 
This is what the prophecies of the end time of the church tell us, and we need to be ready for this. Now let's move into the second denial of this system of the end times. It is very similar to the first. It is the denial of the word of God, of the authority of the scriptures, and the rejection of sound doctrines. And this is done not by the world. They, they always did this. It is more and more in the churches. Why is the Bible so important? God can be seen in nature. We could feel him really in our hearts. But only the scriptures reveal his character, and this is why they are after it. This is why God is so jealous for his word. To Israel, he said, you shall not add to my word, which I command you, not take away from it. This is in the Torah, Deuteronomy 4.2. Don't touch it. To all he says in Revelation 22, if anyone adds to these words, if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. The fall of Israel and the fall of the visible church and the rise of so many cults is because they added and altered to the word of God. My people perish because they have no knowledge. Knowledge of what, God says? Knowledge of the scriptures. That was a tragedy in Israel. This is what is happening today. Ask them about who the Messiah is. Ask them about the end time, resurrection. They don't know because they don't have the foundation of the word of God. And this began right at the birth of the church in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 7. It spoke already of these things. It says, of these people always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because they don't believe it. So the word of God has no effect. You, these people can read the Bible a hundred thousand times. They want to understand it. It's all revealed by God. And I want to tell you, when you read the word and you understand, say, praise God. This is from the Holy Spirit. There are many verses in the New Testament which speak of this rejection. We can see one major one. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verses 1 to 2. You can go there if you want. All the T's are together. Alphabetical order. Orders. That is Timothy, Thessalonians, no, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. First Timothy 4, 1 to 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heeds to deceiving spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Paul of the and the believers of the time thought that they were living these latter times already, since they believed that the coming of the Lord was imminent, and they were warned by the Spirit that as time passes by, there will be an increase of people from inside the church who will depart from faith because they will turn to false doctrines and false teachings. And see the origin of these false teachings. What are they? He calls them doctrines of demons. As it was with the serpent in the Garden of Eden, so it is today. These demons have improved with time. They now appear subtly through false teaching, and in this way they separate, they alienate, and isolate the individual from his God. This is a revelation from the Spirit, says Paul. Have we yet realized the origin of the consequences of deceptive, counterfeit, and erroneous teaching? This is when anti-biblical truth and 
are tolerated and adopted in a congregation. This is the case where you can tell the sheep are in trouble when the shepherd starts speaking kindly of the wolf and invite the wolf into the congregation. And what happens to those who continue, continue to listen to the doctrines of demons? The end of verse 2 tells us having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Have you tried to speak to somebody who don't want to listen whatsoever? Here again, we may recognize the Greek word, kote riazzo, right? Where we get the word cotherize, cotherize that is, which means to sear with a branding iron, to deaden one's spirit. And at that time, the branding was a sign of ownership, as when a farmer brand their cattle. This is the way these demons claim souls. Following this system of denial, the third follows the denial of the faith. Something that is in the increase because once one removes God and his word, faith will fly away. We can start with the same passage, 1 Timothy 4.1, which says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. What is faith? Faith is saying amen to God. To whatever he says in the scriptures. It is the eye by means of which we see God. It is the evidence of conviction of things not sin. It is God-given. Faith is God-given. Ask. He will give it to you. Faith is like electricity, right? You can see it, but you, you, you can't see it, that is, but you can see it's produced, the light itself. But see the word depart in this verse. In latter times, some will depart from the faith. The word depart, aphis temi, is of the same root as apostasy, which in itself here speaks of a divorcement. That is, this is when one divorces God after knowing him. This is when an individual says to, no to God, and this is a growing plague. So the apostasy is what the scripture says will precede the Antichrist. Paul brings back Jesus' warning and gives us the information in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away, that is the apostasy, comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. And today we see many prominent people in Christianity who depart from the faith and they are vocal about it and they are causing so much harm, especially with the young ones. Nothing like this to get Jesus' attention. Touch his young ones. He said, in fact, in Matthew 18, verse 6, he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. These, I want to tell you, are strong words. This is the side of Jesus we often omit to proclaim. Last August, I read about a singer of the famous Christian group Hillsong, who after singing and praising God since the creation of this group in the early 1980s, publicly declared his departure from the faith. You may, not, you may know many of the songs written by this group, Hosanna, what a beautiful name, Surrounder, and songs like Who You Say That I Am. Uh, I want to read an excerpt of what this singer wrote as the reason of his departure from the faith. He says, I'm genu genuinely losing my faith, and it doesn't bother me. Like what brothers uh, tells me, it, it is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world. 
There's no apology here. There's only pride. Nothing bothers him now, right? And then he gives some examples of things. He says no one explained to him which contributed to his losing the faith because he puts the, fa the fault on others. He says, why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talked about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place and because they don't believe and so on? And he says, Christians is not for me. I'm not in anymore, right? What, what, what we can gather from this statement is that this person, as sincere as he is, did not know the scriptures, for therein are, are the answers of his questions. He came to confess that God and his words is false, and what follows is, a, is that he loses his faith. It follows the three first denial of the system, a denial of Jesus, a denial of his word, a denial of faith. And we ask one question, one other question here. How did such a public person last so many years praising and, and praying in front of thousands of young people? Where were the Bible teachers there? And the most amazing thing is that today this person is still part of the group. And he writes, if anything at all I have ever received from Hillsongs is support and the opportunity to follow my own mind. Where then do they draw the line? Where do we draw the line? The Bible clearly says, and in many passages, not to have fellowship with such a one who tasted the power of the Spirit and then just moves away. This also is a sign of a, a strong sign of the end times. And what follows is a system, is the, in the system is the, the fourth one, which naturally follows, by the way. It is the denial of morals, morals in all its forms. This is a departure, rejection of what the Bible says is right, is ethical, noble, holy, and today some even go as far as reversing this morality and promoting sin. This is what Isaiah says. In Isaiah 5.20, he says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Yeshua takes as an example the type of immorality which existed at the flood and at the time of Sodom. And he says, this is how it would be in your time. These are the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 17. Verses 26 to 30. And as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom in rain, fire, and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all, even so will it be at the end when the Son of Man is revealed. How were the people at the time of the flood and at the time of Sodom? How was it in the days of Noah? We read in Genesis 6.13, where God gives the reason for the flood. It says that the end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. The word violence in Hebrew, you know what it is? It's Hamas. Sounds familiar? <laughs> but this word goes beyond the physical violence. It is used for the hatred of man and one when gives a false testimony or one when transgresses God's law, as when he commits immoral acts. The word destroyed, shachat, in, in this is repeated four times in this text. Once in verse 11, twice in verse 12, and once in 
verse 13. The point is that as man keeps on corrupting himself, comes a time when God must retrieve his restraining power and leave man unto his own corruption. Such things then are among the fourth denial of what is godly, moral, which destroys all the law of God. The fifth denial, something very familiar today and growing, a growing phenomenon, a denial of the, of the end time prophecies. Something I personally see growing as so many now believe that Satan is bound and that the church will Christianize the world and bring peace. This is a growing think theology. This is what the main denomination of the visible church, the Catholic church, believed for the last 2,000 years. And many Protestant church are following suit today. Yet history testifies that this amillionist and postmillionist does not work. The world is not better than it was 2,000 years. A millionist, as you can see in the church, means no millennium. A millionist is held by the, again, the Roman Catholic, the Greek Orthodox Church, and by a large and growing segment of Protestant churches. Postmillionism means after the millennium. In both cases, they do not believe that there will be a kingdom of Christ on earth. They believe that now Christ reigns through them and they will bring peace on earth and that the devil is not present at all. Notice that they, what they both believe. First, that Satan is bound. Is Satan really bound today? And second, that they replaced Israel. Two major mistakes. Today, one does not need to see prophecies to recognize these signs. The secular world has already been complaining of the rise of the nuclear arms, right? The climatic changes, the growing anger of Islam, the constant presence of conflict and wars in the, in the world. It is by now very obvi obvious that man is not able to bring peace in this world. We need to turn to God. This system turns away our attention from the scriptures and to man. And all these who believe in this system will think that they are right as time goes on. For prophecy says that before the final wars, the economy and standard of living will increase as lawlessness will increase, right? It's going to be good. We ask one question, in which condition will the world be when the seven-year tribulation begins and especially the first three and a half years? I want to tell you, it's going to be very good. The world will seemingly be in a very good shape. In the same passage of Luke, we read that Yeshua says, as the days of Noah. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. They were doing okay. These are signs of prosperity. One does not do these things in times of wars. And this follows the account of the tribulation in Revelation, beginning with this man on a white horse. But he's fake. He is the Antichrist, imitating the Messiah at his second coming. This, this one comes with his bow, or covenant of peace, as Daniel tells us. But it is a false peace for the next horse, red horse, here the color of war, and the third is black, representing famine and diseases, and the fourth horse, pale, color of death. But it all begins with a false peace. And this is a characteristic we find in Bible history as well, before the tribulation or any tribulation strikes. Just like Israel was before the Assyrian and the Babylonians, before they invaded the, their countries. We see, for instance, before the Assyrian deportation, God complains 
to the Jewish people through Micah the prophet and says, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for his people. What the Spirit says here is that the people were so far away from God, just at the time when the Assyrians were at the door, that they believed any good news of prosperity, wine and beer and so on, and they were prosperous. Then another 150 years or so later, another calamity was about to strike Judah. But the same type of people were proclaiming peace when there was none. This is when God complained through Jeremiah as the Babylonians were literally at the door of Jerusalem. In Jeremiah 6.14, Jeremiah 8.11, they have also healed the hurt of my people slightly by saying peace, peace, when there's no peace. And as it was with Noah and Lot and with the Israelites, it is today as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5.3, Paul warns us, For when they say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon the pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The Spirit says that there will be those within the churches who will speak of peace when there's no peace at all. And this is when we come to the fifth trait of this denial of, you know, of the system. The denial, again, of end time prophecies. Today many, and increasingly so, think that these prophecies are either gone, fulfilled, or they mean something else completely. And it began right at the birth of the church. And I want to bring you to a verse, very important one, 2 Peter 3, verses 3 to 4. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking around to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. After the departure of the last apostle John, 2,000 years ago, a new kind of Christianity arose, which says like those weird prophets, peace, peace, when there's no peace at all. How are they saying peace, peace? Have we seen they teach that Satan is bound, right? As we have seen that, and that we are not living in the messianic age. This is what Amelianists think. This is the teaching called Amelianist, which later developed into what they call postmillianist. Both teach basically the same thing, peace, peace, when there's actually no peace coming. It will come after the tribulation. And again, what is common to all these denominations of this, what I would call the new Christianity? They all believe that they are the new Israel, and today Israel is becoming more and more of a hindrance to their theology. And I'm afraid that this will bring and, and even trigger a wave of anti-Semitism in the very near future, as it did, as, as did this belief throughout the history of Christianity. This brings us to our last sign of the end, something Dwight Pentecost did not completely see, perhaps because it was the time of the rebirth of Israel and Christianity was very much in the word of God and supported it. But today things are changing drastically. This is the last sign, the sixth sign. There's the denial of who Israel is. As the Protestant and the Evangelical Church is moving more and more away from the premillennial position, they are moving away from recognizing Israel in prophecies. I'm not saying that all those who are, pre are not premillennial 
are anti-Israel or anti-Semite, but I will surely say that the seed is there, and history testifies that Christian anti-Semitism stems from this position. In the prophecies of Zechariah, God says that at the end, all the nations will battle against Jerusalem. Just imagine this. Well, I want to tell you something. They're already there in Jerusalem. They have sent their religious representative right in the city with each claiming ownership of God's city and denying Israel that is before their armies comes. Did you know that Jerusalem is the only city in the world in which some 15 different Christian communities live alongside one another? Because for the most part, they all claim Jerusalem to be theirs. And they don't always get along. You know, sometimes they f fight, fist fight against each other. Furthermore, a survey that was taken during the 1990s revealed the presence of about 160 churches in Jerusalem. I thought that was a Jewish city. Again, for the most part, they claim Jerusalem their city, and they think they are in the millennium. And so Israel is a hindrance. Is a hindrance. This is what is called supersessionism. It refers to the idea that the Christian church has superseded Israel in the Old Testament and had succeeded to replace Israel and its people. This position is also the oldest position held by the visible Christianity. Just to mention one of many, Justin Martyr, in his dialogue with Try for the Jew, claims similarly that we, the church, are the true Israelite race, the spiritual one, that of Judah and Jacob and Abraham. A Jew is a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A Jew is not a faith. You cannot replace a Jew. But Paul simply says, in the heart of the New Testament, in Romans 11, Verses 1 to 2. I said then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I'm also an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. There are a whole body of scriptures in the Hebrew scriptures and in the New Testament which show that God has never and will never reject his people and he will never reject any believer who confessed Jesus as his personal savior. This is, it is the same assurance that we have. But I would like to, to bring you to a contemporary and growing phenomenon, okay, that we spoke a lot, anti-Semitism. This term was coined in 1879 by a German, Wilhelm Marr, in order to label the growing anti-Jewish campaigns against the Jews in Europe. Semite is from the word Shem, one of the three sons of Noah, and from where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Jews come from. Anti-Semitism is the belief or behavior hostile toward Jews just because they are Jewish. The growth of anti-Semitism is prophesied and is part of the end-time prophecies. Don't be surprised if you see it more and more. Revelation 12 says that during the second part of the tribulation, it says, now, when the dragon that Satan saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, and she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she would be nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. Furthermore, we know from Zechariah 13.8 that two-thirds of Israel 
shall be cut off, but one third shall be left in it. These are terrible prophecies. At this time, the dragon, who is the serpent and Satan, will go after the Jewish people. For Jesus said in Matthew 23, 39, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who come to the name of the Lord. So Satan will be after them to try to disseminate all the Jews. So God has to protect them. And again, what this verse tells us is that Yeshua will not return to earth unless the Jews and the Jewish leaders, that is, ask him to come back. As for the religious leaders, they rejected Yeshua, they must be the ones who accept him back. Satan knows this, and at the end, seeing that time is short, he will go after Israel and her people, but God will protect a remnant, that is the believer. And we are beginning to see traces of this fierce anti-Semitism. In one survey, I'll give you one survey, in December 1st, 2018, which, in which seven European countries, they found that 28% of Europeans said that Jews have too much influence worldwide. Influences over finances and businesses across the world. They really think that Jews are very smart, by the way. But you know that 75 years ago, Hitler's argument in his book, Mankind, was the same. It began by pointing to the Jews as the main cause of, of Germany and Europe's problems and the world's problems. And this led to the Holocaust of six million Jews. Let us now resume this system of denials in six points in there. First, there will be increase, increasingly be a denial of the Messiah, of the person and the nature of Jesus. Hit the head and the body falls. Second, there will be a denial of the word of God. They will begin to doubt the validity of the word of God and slowly move away from it and even directly attacking it. Third, there will be a denial of the faith. That is the outcome of moving away from God and his word. Third, there will be a, fourth, there will be a denial of biblical morality and holiness. Remove God, the Bible, the faith will go and sin will come and replace it and firmly will be established in man. Fifth, there will be a denial of the biblical prophecies which constitute over one quarter of the scriptures. By this time removing one quarter of the scriptures, you have to remove the whole book because there's no one book that speaks of all the prophecies. It's scattered through Genesis to Revelation. There's a new church which opened up not far from my house, big one. And so the pastor decided not to teach eschatology. It is too controversial, he says, right? What did they teach? And six, there will be a mounting dislike and hatred among the people of God. This is why Israel needs your prayers and your support. It was Benjamin Netanyahu who said, the second Israeli army is yourself, the Gentiles who love Israel. And we remember also that who helped Israel in the establishment of the nation in 1948? It wasn't the religious Jews. They were Christians, evangelical Christians, Bollinger, for instance, E.W. Bollinger, who wrote commentaries on, on, on Revelation, on the end time prophecy, he was one of the best friends of Herzl. And they were taking walks together. Where do you think he spoke to him about it? There were many Christians who helped Israel. Now, considering, considering all of this, how shall we confront these things? What does the Spirit expect of us besides, of course, praying and supporting, I believe, Israel? 
You know, the Bible does not leave us to ourselves. The epistles got out of their usual way to give us a few lists of characteristics of what a believer should not be. Because when it comes to end-time prophecies, the epistles put an emphasis on our sanctification. We have to get prepared to meet God. He's coming any time. By the way, rapture is tonight. I don't know if you know that. If not, it'll be tomorrow night. Right? While these lists may, may be useful for leaders, they are not given for anyone to go on a witch hunt, but perhaps so that we may assess ourselves through what it says. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10, we find a list of 11 traits. It begins with the words, the words, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And it follows a list of 11 sins that are freely committed and freely promoted. In Romans chapter 1, verses 29 to 31, there's another list of 23 characteristics we ought not to imitate as believers in the Messiah who are sealed by the Holy Spirit. There the Spirit says that these did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to the based mind to do those things which are not fitting. Verse 28. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, there are 19 characteristics which define immorality. From being lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, and thankful, and holy, etc. 1 Timothy 1, 9 to 10, there is yet another list of nine of these features we are not to reflect. And in 1 Corinthians 5, there's another list of 10 other characteristics, and some of them are repeated a few times. In all of this, you have 72 traits, enough work to keep us busy until the rapture. The Spirit of God gives us all that we need to fight this battle. It starts with holiness, a holiness without which no one can see the Lord. This is the first thing when it comes to end-time prophecy, when it comes to any doctrines. Let's look up upon ourselves. These then are the portrait of spiritual anarchy, if you want. We can call them the 72 traits of evil. And there's one verse I want to share with you in closing. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Besides our task to share the word of God with the unsaved and to pray for them, we are here also to prepare our eternal future. We are like in a preparatory school. Whatever we do here will determine our future, our eternal future in heaven. It is my prayer that you have been blessed with the word of God. Let's bow our head in prayer. Avinu Malkenu, our Father and our King, Father of all that is good, all that is true, teach us to love as you do, with sincerity and a pure heart, that we may draw from the wellspring of your generosity and kindness and patience. Keep us from error as we go about our days, so that our thoughts may be your thoughts. And prepare us for your coming, Lord, as we pray. Under the name of the one who's sitting at your right hand, Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you all.